Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Philippians chapter 2. We're just going to run into some scriptures here and say some things that I know will be a real great blessing to you. Continue on with what I know the Lord's kind of wanting to establish in these meetings here. You say they're healing meetings and you're talking about a relationship. Well, that's where the healing comes out of. It comes out of the relationship with God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Praise the Lord. I know, uh, thank God for the musicians. I know I stand a long time. You guys are standing a long time. And, uh, but I have to stand a long time. <laughs> I am. I am. I had a big old birthday uh, Saturday. And uh, so, what, what Saturday was? Oh, the 13th. And so they just keep coming every year, you know. Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13, in the Passion Trans Translation, it says, My beloved ones, just like you've always listened to everything I've taught you in the past, I'm asking you now to keep following my instructions as though I were right there with you. You must continue to make this new life fully manifested as you live in the holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. Now, it sounds like it's your responsibility to make it fully manifested. The King James says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And now that sounds like a work. Now we're right back where we started from and we didn't want to be, which is I'm working to get God to do something for me. When I couldn't do anything to get my salvation, now I'm back to works. But you got to read the next verse in order to figure out what it means when he says, work out your salvation. Because work out your salvation also means work out your healing, work out your deliverance, work out the safety and soundness of your life. See, that, that word is all-encompassing. And that's just the short version. There's a big, long list what salvation or sozo means. But if you've got to work it out, well, Lord, have mercy on all of us. We're not good enough to figure that out. Last night we got over into that, and, and we saw that the... The equation of the law is you've got to do everything right in order to be blessed, which also means you can't do anything wrong or you get cursed. Man, that's a tough system, everybody. No one is able to find freedom there. And you know, when that system was made, it wasn't because God was trying to make something tough on them. He was just trying to say, if you guys really want to do this yourself, in other words, the whole secular humanistic mindset, which is we are gods unto ourselves. No, you're not. We are sons of the living God. And in that sense, we are God-men through Christ. Which means the life that Jesus lived on the earth, we can duplicate that life. Which is God living in you can vent himself through you as we learn to think like him, act like him. And the results will look like they did in the life and ministry of Jesus. Somebody says, well, I think we all ought to have, you know, the, the ability to have our own opinion about any, any which way we want to have it. And you can. Let's just see how that all works out for you. Like one young, young man, I asked him, I said, so how are you going to get to heaven? He said, I don't really know. I said, that's a bad bet. Amen? Because you don't get another choice. 
right? <clears throat> so anybody can have any, any idea that they want, but the reason why Christianity is what Christianity is, and the sad thing about it is us Christians, and I'm not blaming you any more than I'm blaming myself, but us Christians have been hoodwinked for long enough under the law so that we, did, we don't experience or we nullify the very ability of God's grace that will help us to look just like Jesus. We've, we've been under that system for so long. We've adopted it as though it's real Christianity. All this law, this legalism, trying to work so hard to try to perfect yourself. And all it does is, is hinder God's ability to work through you. So the world hasn't really seen a picture of the real believers. How many years have people thought that the real message was, you're going to go to hell, you sinner? That's not the message. Like one of the fellas, uh, you know, brought up the whole idea about being blotted out. Being blotted out of the book of life has to do with the fact that God, through Jesus Christ, reconciled the whole world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Reconciled, reconciled. What is reconciled? Reconciliation, reconciled. Doesn't it have something to do with a bank account? You take your, 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 your ledger that comes in the mail, or you look it up online, and it says you have this amount of money, and you're thinking, I don't know if I have all that money. Do I have all that money? And you say, well, how would you find out? You go back in, and you do a reconciliation of your account, and you find out what's outstanding and what is not. And all of a sudden, then you come up with an exact amount. Well, God reconciled the world. What does that mean? We talked about that yesterday. He took the account book of the world and he closed the account, took it to the cross, and buried it. Because he became all of your sin, which means your account is zeroed out. So God looks at the whole world as though they're in. And if they don't accept him as Lord and Savior, he's got to blot them out. God's just not going through, you know, the book of life when, when, when the blood of Jesus has atoned for your sin and you've accepted that and saying, well, you just didn't do good enough and we're going to take you out. Or you're having a bad week and you've cursed me so I'm going to take you out because I've, I've got really thin little shoulders, you know, and, and I can't handle somebody mocking me. Oh, my goodness, if it weren't for the long-suffering of God, the ability to God to long-suffering to wait on you. Do you know Methuselah? Who was he? He's a man that lived the longest, wasn't he? Do you know that his name meant when his name meant judgment? If you look at all the different names, when you get to Methuselah, the judgment would come. How long did he live? 996 years. What does that show you? God is prolonging as long as he could, the stretching it out as long as he could because he delights in mercy, not judgment. He's long-suffering. If it weren't for the long-suffering of God, amen, we'd all have no chance. No, the message is God loves you. He's not mad at you. He put all of the curse and all of, all of the, the uh, guilt and condemnation on Jesus. You don't have to be guilty anymore. You don't have to be condemned anymore. You can actually experience a loving relationship with him. That's the good news. And the real gospel means the too good to be true good news. It's so good you have to pinch yourself. Think it can't be really this good. Does he really see me like this? And the hardest thing you'll have to do is deal with the fact 
that you don't have to look at yourself the way that you've looked at yourself anymore. I mean, we've looked at ourselves being guilty of this and guilty of that and shamed over this and shamed over that for so long that when you find out how God actually loves you, the thing that you'll be guilty about is that you're not guilty anymore. That's what I found out. The moment I found out I didn't be guilty anymore, I felt bad that I wasn't guilty. So I had to clear that up too. In other words, that's the part that's just too good to be true. So no, he's not putting us in a work anymore, even though it sounds like that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice what the working out of the salvation is. And I'm over in Philippians chapter 2 and now verse 13 in the Amplified. And notice what it says here. Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you. See, work out your salvation, not in your own strength. See, you got to read the next part. Otherwise, you're, you're going to go back to working. Work out your salvation, but not in your own strength, for it is God who is effectually at work in you. How does he work in you? Effectively. Now, let me give you one of the best definitions you'll ever hear about the grace of God. The grace of God is God's ability to move the target. See, you think you're an expert, expert markman, marksman. You're hitting bullseye after bullseye, not, not realizing that the Holy Ghost is running back and forth faster than the speed of light, amen, to get to the place where you're shooting it so that you can get a bullseye. <laughs> but grace loves for you to get a bullseye. That's the influence of God upon your life, that God will take your misses and make, make absolute marksmen out of you. Because it's not based on you, it's based on Jesus. If it was based on you, you wouldn't even hit the target. But if it's based on Jesus, you hit bullseye after bullseye after bullseye after bullseye. And you actually start thinking that you're pretty good at this. The more you think you're pretty good at this, the more you hit bullseye after bullseye after bullseye. God loves for you to have confidence in him. Not in yourself, but in him. Can you say amen to that? Fin finish this. Look at what it says. Not in your own strength, for it's God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire. Wait a minute. This is starting to look pretty good here. Working out of my salvation is actually believing that God is doing what it says right here that he's doing, which is he is energizing me and creating in me power and desire. In other words, I don't even have the right desire. He, he creates in me the right desire and then gives me the power to fulfill the right desire. Well, I don't know if I like this. Well, just keep loving Jesus. You say, why? Because if you'll just keep loving him, keep your heart open, he's creating in something inside of you which is ability and desire. You see, freedom is not wanting to do the wrong thing, but you finally did the right thing. That's bondage. Freedom is you don't even want to do the wrong thing. Like I lost the desire for that. That's why I don't even go there anymore. That's freedom. Amen? And it works the same way for healing. If you're working out your salvation, then you're working out your healing. How do you work out your healing? By believing that he's actually creating something inside of you, which is power and ability to actually walk in divine healing. you got to love how God actually has big enough shoulders that he wants to take the responsibility for this whole thing. See, what we think, because we've always been taught, man, the early bird gets the worm. No pain, no gain. 
right? We've always been taught to grind, to stay after it. And in a sense, there is a lot of wonderful truth to the fact of being responsible. So the grind now is just to keep yourself in a position to believe that he's doing something in you. Now, if I believe that someone's doing something for me, then I'm involved in what I believe they're doing. So if I believe someone's picking me up tonight at the McDonald's, then I'm going to ask Pastor Sean if he wouldn't drive me over to the McDonald's. See, I'm, I'm being involved in what I believe. If I believe that the Lord's healing power is working in me, then I'm involved in doing what? Responding as though I never had anything at all wrong. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. Praise the Lord. I think it was anointed here, at least for a little bit. Holy Ghost, you can come back. Praise the Lord. That's all right. It almost scared me too. Praise the Lord. I'm in this healing line in Iowa, and I've never been asked back. That happens. And I got to this one guy, and I said, so what do you need? He goes, well, I just want to tell you Jesus Christ is my healer, and I'm the healer of the Lord. I said, well, that's a testimony. I said, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You can go to your seat. I went to the next person. And I went to minister to her, and this guy's still standing. I said, what are you standing there for? And I stepped back over to him. He goes, well, I wanted to tell you that Jesus Christ is my healer, and I believe I'm the healer of the Lord. I said, I know. You, you, you gave me a testimony. Thank you very much. You go sit down now. And I went to the next person like this. And now he's like, just looked at me. I said, why aren't you sitting down? I've asked you twice. You can go back and sit down. And I went and stood in front of me. And, and he goes, well, because, because, because. I said, oh, you're not going to tell me you still got symptoms, are you? He said, well, yeah. I said, listen, doc, I can't pray for you. He said, why can't you pray for me? I said, because you're a liar pastor about fell out of the chair. He said, a liar? I said, that's right, you're a liar. And he looked at me, and he kind of looked off and like as though he's thinking, and he looked back at me and said, you know, I don't believe one thing I said, do I? I said, no, not one thing. I said, but you can make a change very quickly because it is a belief in your heart. And God will touch you, heal you right now. He said, you lay hands on me, I'll be healed right now. I went like this to lay hands on him. When I put my hand up like that, poof, he falls on the ground and gets up healed. Just that quick. He made that adjustment. And now he's right back over into what? Into where the grace of God will flow. What, what, didn't he have to run circles, you know, and, and do a marathon in order to get God to like him again? Because he's, no, think of how quickly that was. You know, if you're Peter, I got out of the boat. Lord, if that is you, bid me come, and I'm walking on the water to Jesus. And then he had decided he would think about what he just did because he didn't think. <laughs> See, if you don't think, you don't sink. <laughs> that works for me. Amen. And when you're blonde, it really works for me. He's standing there looking at Jesus, and all of a sudden he decided to think about what he did. He started looking a little bit here and looking a bit. And as he looked, he started sinking. And I don't know why he took so long to figure it out. I mean, when, when you already passed the first floor and the second floor and you're going into the basement, he's down here like this, Jesus up there, and he finally just realized, Lord. And the moment he put his, he went right back. Look at how quickly he yielded to one 
and then yielded to the other. I mean, Peter had a history of that. You know, the Lord said, as you guys know who I am, he said, well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you didn't get that from flesh and blood. It's my Father that revealed that to you. And then Jesus talked about, you know, dying on the cross and everything, and, and, and Peter rebukes him. And then he has to turn around and say, get behind me, Satan. So one minute he yielded to the spiritual influence of God and spoke out something that was amazing. The next minute he yielded to the spiritual influence of the devil and spoke something contrary. Jesus had to rebuke that. Do you see? It's very simple to go either way. Right? So it doesn't take much to step into the anointing. There's somebody right now what I just said to you registered. And it's like a switch got flipped inside of you. Check yourself and see. Check your symptoms and see what God just did for you sitting in your seat. When I just said that, that made sense of how easy it was to look at Jesus. I'm walking on the water. Look at the water. Now I'm sinking. Look back at Jesus. I come back up. Somebody just got that. And the power, just like that, began to work. What just happened? Yeah, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And it just made sense, didn't it? And when it made sense, the power was turned on. It's like the light switch. Electricity went right through. How hard was that for God to make that perfectly whole? Just like that. Just like that. Just like that. Somebody else in here. You just heard that testimony, and it's like a pebble in a pond. And all of a sudden, the ripples are starting to touch you. Who else? Check yourself right now. The symptoms that you had, check yourself right now. See, healing is here. We're singing it for a reason, right? It's not just a song for filler, you know. Who else? Real quickly, and then we'll get to some of our thoughts here. It's 8.07. We'll just go about 20 minutes, wrap some things up. Man, I'm excited about the things we're talking about. Real Christianity. Amen. I'm telling you what, I love it, I love it, I love it. Anybody else? Who's that other person? When you have one and your heart opens up, the grace of God needs your imagination and an open heart and open mind to function. If your heart's not open, your mind's not open, the grace of God can't work through you. And if you get to the place where you've sealed off your imagination, you can't think bigger, then gr the grace of God can't take you there. But that's the benefit of being in a service where people are receiving because what you can't imagine, yet you just saw in someone right here testified to, opens your heart up to imagine it happening in you. And that's what just happened, and I sensed someone else. And if I have to, I'll have to locate you. <laughs> yes, ma'am, what just happened in your body? It's blood pressure. Amen. Do you have any ability to check your blood pressure right now? Is there a blood pressure machine here someone could check? Because I'll guarantee you, your blood pressure is normal. Is there anyone? I still have that thought out there. Is there anyone that can check her blood pressure for her right now? Is there any type of machine here? Amen. Well, we'll get your testimony tomorrow morning. We won't forget it. Who else? One more, and then I'm satisfied. There's one more here that symptoms have disappeared in your body and you've not checked yet. 
but you need to check. Lift my hands to the heavens. Come on. Yes, sir. What about you? Torn rotator cuff. Well, God wouldn't do that for him. Huh? He knows you're the favorite over him. Huh? I mean, if he got a single, you got a double. I did have two shots of espresso in a little bit. It is dangerous right now. I'm feeling it kick in. Do you know there are 400 million cups of coffee every day in the United States of America? And that's not counting all the energy drinks. Pastor will tell you the reason why we even went today. I, I don't drink coffee. I'll do a little latte here and things. It's just to get something warm on your throat when you're preaching a bunch. I'll either do something warm like that or else I'll go have, you know, some type of soda, not because I drink a lot of sodas, but something that gets a little burn on there. That'll feel good sometimes too afterwards because you're preaching so much, you know. How's that rotate cuff? Brother, you need to drop down and give me about five. That would have hurt before, wouldn't it? He wouldn't have done that. How are you doing? Isn't that awesome? You can swing them both around, can't you? But don't hit her. Isn't that great? Come on, these demonstrations are just as important as what I'm saying. Could it be that easy? It can't be that. Your working out of your salvation is just as real as that. It's your belief in what he's doing to empower you and to work effectively and to even give you different desires so that as you work with the Lord, you step into something that's totally from him. This is Christianity. Oh, let's go a little bit further right now. For a few more moments, we'll come back tomorrow and we'll explain everything. But I want you to come over here to 2 Corinthians in chapter 6 for just a moment. And, and in the Message Bible, I am go back usually between the Message, the Passion Translation, the New King James, and then, of course, we have lots of other translations that I'll get into, hopefully even some a little tonight. But let's look at this. It says, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide-open, spacious life. What kind of life? A hemmed-in, a hemmed-in life? No, a wide-open, spacious life. There's nothing like having a little bit of space. Amen? Do you know what I'm talking about? We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. See, salvation with God is all about wide, open, spacious places. It's not about being hemmed in or fenced in, feeling confined. It's about freedom. 
Okay, it's like the example of you've got a wild Mustang in a corral and it's running around and banging into the fence and somebody opens the gate and that Mustang looks, sees, and literally kicks it into overdrive and he's gone. And he's not going to stop until he reaches the wide open spaces. That's exactly how every one of us are given an opportunity with God's grace and God's kindness. This is starting to describe what real Christianity is. Because the possibility is, even here tonight with some of you, that you might actually identify Christianity with the building. I kind of grew up thinking that way. My relationship had something to do with when you went to church. No, your relationship is 24-7. So this young lady, she's walking toward the foyer. I'm walking toward it. She's going around this way, and we met right at the foyer door. And I said to her, well, did anything I say tonight make sense? Did you get anything? And she said, I did. I said, well, what'd you get? She said, I'm the one with the tennis elbow that got healed. I said, that's wonderful. And then she said, but I do have a question. I said, what's your question? She said, well, it kind of, as I got up to walk out, it kind of came back. Do you know why? And without even thinking, I said, yes. And in my head, I had this little fight going on. You have no idea. What are you going to say? So she said, well, what's the answer? And I thought to myself, yeah, what's the answer, smarty? So I thought, well, this is going to be good. Open the mouth and just let God fill it. So I said, well, it's because of the door. And I thought, that's the stupidest thing I ever said. (laughs) And she said, the door, and I was pointing to the door that leads outside. She says, what does that have to do with it? And this is what came out of my mouth. The door represents your other life where pain exists, difficulties come, where you expect that which is worse. This room right here, you actually expect that you can get something from God in this building. And you've already disconnected from the Lord. She looked at me. She laughed. And, of course, I'm thinking to myself, that is pretty darn good right there. I don't know where I got that, but that's pretty good. And she said, wow, that's good. And I said, well. Then she looked at me. And right, right like that, just like you, like you, just that quick, she goes, started laughing. She goes, oh, my gosh. I said, what? She goes, it just left again. I said, do I, she stopped me right in the middle of, I was, do I have to say anything? She says, you don't have to say another word. I got it. The person I am right here is the person I am out there. If Jesus is my healer in here, he's my healer out there. I'm not going to disconnect from that. And isn't it interesting that just that simply she was able to connect your heart, her heart to who God is right here, right now, and it'll never change. Versus I'm getting ready to go outside. I've already disconnected where I'm going to walk out that. You know why it worked that way? Do you think consciously she actually tried to think, let's just disconnect from God and lose my healing? Do you think she consciously did that? Absolutely not. Do you know what had happened? Her pattern was she used the church as her safe haven, and the moment she went right back out into the world, she was out there all alone just fending for herself. See, that had become a habit. And when she got her healing and she used that same habit, before she got to the door, the healing left. 
So we made a correction. And look at how simply she connected to the correction. Come on, we're not living in confined spaces. Christianity is a relationship with God that takes you into the wide open spaces. Somebody say amen. Amen. There's a lot of things that we could say, but I'm going to take you over to Romans in chapter 8 for a moment. 5 through 8 in the Message Bible says, Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Remember, working out your salvation is not about your muscle. It's about believing in His. And it goes on to say, those who trust God's action in them, that's believing in his muscle, find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. See, when you believe that he's doing something, you'll actually find circumstances will will change in a manner where you know you're not involved. Like the healing ministry is really awesome. Because every time you see someone healed, you know you didn't do it. Like that young lady right there when I explained to her, it's like giving a gift to somebody. Well, you didn't make the gift. You just have the gift to give. So you can direct it, but the gift isn't from you. It was made somewhere else. See, the gift he gives is that wonderful anointing and presence so you can become very aware of the gift and you direct it to go into somebody, but you know you didn't do it. You within yourself couldn't heal. But you can direct that power so that it does heal. Just like you praying for your, was it your mom? Did you feel that power go in you? Well, that power just didn't go in you. It went in her. I'm praying for a lady whose mother is dying in Seoul, Korea, in the hospital. They released her the next morning with nothing wrong. That, that far of a distance away. Why? Because the moment I prayed for something went into her, and she connected with it, and immediately went, oh, oh my goodness, and she began to weep. And it wasn't the weeping, it was the fact that she caught what actually went in. And so I knew there was a connection, and bam, her mother wakes up that night, goes home the next day in Seoul, Korea. You just can't make that kind of stuff up, folks. That's amazing, absolutely amazing. So, look at what it says. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, spacious, free life. What? Attention to God leads us into the open, spacious, free life. So this wide open, spacious life that we want to experience comes when you give your attention to God. Now, you could be doing everything but giving your attention to God and actually feel like you're doing something very religious. Like you're praying and you're reading and you're confessing and you're going to church and you're being a nice person and everything. It's all based on you and what you're doing. Your feeling of relating to God is based on you have done enough to feel worthy to get something from him or to approach him. And all of what you've done means nothing. Well, brother, then I'm not going to be nice. No, No. the characteristic of God is love. And if you're experiencing God, you just can't help but be loving. But you don't have to be loving to prove anything. You get to be loving because now the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. 
Do I have to? No, you get to. It's a privilege to walk with God. Do I have to? No, but you get to. And if you get to, you should want to. And if you have problems with the want to, then believe that God is moving the target and he's creating in you and empowering you a desire and ability. And it won't be long until you end up going, I really want to go to church. I really want to love God. I really want to hang out with him today. Man, things have really changed. Where did that change come from? It came from him. It didn't come from you. Because you know what it's like when you try to make a change. It works for about two weeks and you're right back to where you started from. Huh? And if you've ever experienced that yo-yo of life, it is exhausting. And the worst part of it is you'll start to dislike yourself. If you're going to believe in him, you're going to have to believe in you. I didn't say you're going to have to like your flesh. While the flesh is learning to submit. And what's the best way for it to submit? Hang out with Jesus. The wide open spaces of life is when you hang out with God. It says here, focusing on the self is opposite from focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he's doing, and God isn't pleased with being ignored. Do you understand the whole thing he's talking about self right there has to do with the life of the self, where you're constantly thinking about yourself. Do you know what a, a, a seared iron means when Paul talked about your mind is seared, your conscience like an iron? Do you know what that means? It means you're constantly thinking about sin. Do you know, what, you know what that means? It doesn't mean you're constantly thinking about trying to do sin as much as you're sin conscious trying not to do the sin. Do you know being so mindful of the sin that you commit or the things that you don't like to do and trying so hard not to do them is being sin conscious? And the blood of Jesus released us, praise the Lord, so much so that we're free in our conscience to serve the living God. Why? Because we don't have to see ourselves any longer after the flesh. You are a spiritual being in a love relationship with God. You can't improve on that. God did such a perfect job. It's perfect 100% from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. You get to actually go home and like yourself. And if you'll like yourself, you'll find out yourself will find him. Come on, the coffee's kicking in. <laughs> Just kidding. You see, there's nothing about this world that's going to help you. The world is going to make, make your life very distracted. It's very discombobulated. It's not put together. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It won't help you to locate you. In fact, the world will help you to compromise who you really are. I always go back to that experience we had in our last parent-teacher conference when Chloe was in school, our youngest one. And we walked into the teacher's room, and we sat there, and it was, a, it was a, a gentleman, and he looked at us and said, well, Mr. and Mrs. Hockaday, I want to talk to you about Chloe. And I said, well, that's so nice. Go right ahead. And he said, well, first, I want to start out by saying if there were more students like Chloe in our, in our high school, uh, that this would be a, a better place, a better school. And I said, that's so very nice of you to say something like that. Would you mind elaborating on why you said that? And I'm sitting there, and Aaron's sitting there, and we're on the other side of the desk, so he can't see our feet, and her foot is just a couple of feet away from my feet. We're sitting right next to each other. And he says, well, Chloe's very sharp, and she gets her work done very quickly, and she'll get up all on her own and start asking the students if there's anything that she can help them with. When, when, he, when he said that, Aaron's foot reached over and touched my foot. That was one of those unspoken gestures that said to me, you better ask him about the word help. So I said, did you use the word help in that sentence? And he said, I did. I said, that's very interesting. Is there anything else? 
Now our feet are touching each other. And he said, well, he said, I've never asked her to do this. She said, but, you know, when the, when the uh, class is over, she just makes it a, a point herself to come up to the front of the, of the classroom, and she cleans up my desk and gets it ready for the next hour. And now Aaron pushed so hard that if I didn't put a little weight there, she's going to push my foot right over. And all that under the table gesturing is saying, oh, my God, did he actually use the word clean with Chloe? So I thought I'd better address this. And I said, did you use the word clean? And he said, yes, I did. I said, we'd really like to meet this person. <laughs> do you get it, everybody? Do you see it? What do I mean by that? Well, you're this to that person, and you're that to another person, and to the family, you're this person, to the relatives, you're that person, to your friends, you're this person, to the teacher, you're this person. If you're the teacher to the students, you're this person. We learn in this world to act very different in different circumstances. So what's the possibility when you come to a building that's called a church, you don't know which way you really are? Can you really locate the real you? Because the real you will find the real him. I was in a church service, you know, and this lady came in late while we were all worshiping God and just had our hands lifted up and worshiping the Lord. And she came and she stood in front of me. And all of a sudden, she went through an aerobics of lifting of the hands like I've never seen in my entire life. It was the greatest display of the lifting on of hands that I've ever experienced. I'm sure heaven recorded it, and we all get there. I'm sure we'll have to do exactly what she did because it was like this. And I thought, that is amazing. <laughs> Who would know that all that's in there? And then I thought, to, I thought to myself, I wonder if she does that at home. Or if she just waits till she gets to the building in order to put on that display. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Come on, somebody. We've got a couple more minutes here. We'll just mess with you for just a little bit more. Come on, let us do this. Over here, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, in the message, look at what it says. So what do I do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? See, that's how people took the message. You're just making it easier for people to sin. No people sin well enough on their own. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And, of course, in the day that we live with all the information that we have, it makes it even easier to sin because your brain's wrapped around things that you used to didn't think about. Huh? Come on, if you went into town, you were walking or you were on a horse or a mule. And you had plenty of time to look at all the beautiful scenery of what God had made. And in the midst of all of that, the reflection of your heart could find God. In our day today, we're so busy doing this and doing that. We're driving in vehicles 60, 70, and 80 miles an hour. You don't have time to see much, do you? Phone's going off constantly, interrupting you. What does it do? It's called distraction. John Lake said it this way. If there's one characteristic of hell, it's distraction. And that's what we see right in our midst. Right before Jesus comes, it's going to get just like it used to be in the day of Noah. What was the thing in the day of Noah? Well, they did evil continually. That's what's starting to happen now. We're actually applauding people that do evil. They make up these little laws and stuff, you know, and then they applaud. Where people's lives are destroyed. And we applaud. 
didn't used to be like that. People could see what was right and what was wrong. Even people that were evil could see what was right and what was wrong. Today, it's all just mixed into the same, into the same sack, and you just shake it, and you just pull something out. And if it doesn't look good, you just say it looks good. And if you say, if it's too good, then you say it's bad. And people believe it. Can you believe it? People believe it. Jesus is coming soon, you know. I said Jesus is coming real soon. See, these are the characteristics right before he comes. It goes on to say, should I keep sitting so God can keep forgiving? The Message Bible says this. Listen closely. We won't take too much more time. It says, I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Now, see, we moved on to Colorado from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Been there for some 33, 34 years. Now, I'm very aware of the fact I'm not living in that house. So why would I conduct my life in Colorado like I'm living in Oklahoma? One, Oklahoma, there's all kinds of bugs. Colorado, there's hardly any bugs. You can sit out on your back porch in the summertime all night long if you want to, not even get bit by one mosquito. Maybe have a couple of house flies, you know, fly around a little bit here or there, but that's about it. You could open your doors wide and only get one fly in 24 hours that will come in your house. It's the most amazing thing. My wife just loves it. My wife's not a bug person. She trained my girls to not be bug persons. I came home from healing school one day, and she was outside in the front yard. I thought, that's odd. Why are you outside in the front yard all by yourself? I wonder where the, where the girls are. They were just like two and four. So I stopped on the way up. You know, we had a driveway that was kind of elevated, and I stopped halfway, rolled down the window, and said, hey, hon, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm just out in the front yard. I said, well, I can see that. I said, where are the kids? She said, well, they're in the house. I said, why are you out here? She said, well, there's a wasp in the house. <laughs> I said, you left the kids in there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're out on the ranch with BJ, and we're, we got the girls shooting 22s, you know, and they were all amazing shots. You know, women usually are really good shots. And, and we're shooting in a pond. We're elevated way up here, and we're shooting down into a pond, and there's a breeze, so all the little rubby duckies are coming like this, and they're, they're popping them off one after the other. And a bug flies up, and Drew goes like this with the gun. And, and I grab that gun and say, oh, oh, no. She said, well, is it be? I don't care. <laughs> See, it says, oh, we don't live there anymore. Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life and a new land. There it's talking about that new land again. That grace, sovereign country. What's all of this? This is what you call real Christianity, where you get to experience God. Remember, the life of Jesus is our prototype. And what did he say? Well, over in John chapter 5, he said the son can't independently do a thing, only what he sees the father doing. What the father does, the son does. The father loves the son and includes him in on everything he is doing. So notice what Jesus said. If he's looking at the Father in order to do what he does, that means we can also see the Father too. And we should be living that way. Well, some people said, well, you know, the Bible has, re no, the Bible has not replaced what Jesus experienced in a relationship. 
We just happen to be extremely blessed to have the Bible to encourage us to have this relationship where back then they just heard a couple of, of, of news flash reports, news reports, and they'd have to get it. But back then they didn't have as many distractions, so it was easier for their soul to find God. Come on, Enoch did not have all kinds of letters, and he was going over them and over them and over them and over them, and one day faith dropped into his heart, and he started believing God and then went on over to the, into glory. That's not how it worked. He just got a glimpse from what he had heard that there is a God and that you can actually have a relationship with God, and that's all he had, and by faith, he said, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to seek you with great diligence, and when I find you, you're going to reward me, and that kind of tenacity and consistency opened up his heart to the other world, and God started to become real to him until he went over and saw into the spiritual world. And he went back enough until he could go back at will. And 300 years later, he spent so much time over there, back and forth, that he just didn't come back. Is anybody getting this at all? I'm trying to debunk the idea that we are in this big studying tri uh, uh, bondage of a relationship that has everything to do with how much you know, how much you study, how much you do, over into believing that God has done everything for you so that you can right now, without any more study, begin to experience Him. The qualifier is not in you. It's in him. He took your test. He passed it with 100% and put your name on it while you were sleeping. And you woke up to find out that you are a master of the subject. And all you have to do is believe that and then get involved as though you know what you're doing. You say, but I don't know what I'm doing. But if you act like you do and put yourself in a position where you actually need to have an answer, the answer will be there for you. Well, brother, I'm telling you what, i got to have all my ducks in a row. I need to know that before I get there. Well, that's not faith. Everything about the other world is received by faith, which means you know it's available, you know you qualify, and you are going to use your belief to know that when you step here, something will change. You said, how can I know that? Because God cannot lie. He is faithful, praise the Lord, and he won't let you down. He will back you up. I'm getting ready to walk out to healing school. I've preached 550 times a year for 10 years in a row. So, I mean, I've preached everything I've known a million times. And I'm just having one of those days where I've got my hand on the door. I'm ready to go to healing school. And I'm just saying, Lord, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do that they haven't already seen? What am I going to say that they haven't already heard? God, I feel so incomplete as though I can't do this. And when I said that, all of a sudden I heard a voice in my office, Jimmy, whatever you do, I'll back you up. I looked around like this, and there was just a little office. I don't know why I looked, because I'd been in that office, and I was the only one there. But I looked around, I looked under the table, I said, Lord. And the moment I said, Lord, he said, Jimmy, whatever you do, I'll back you up. I said, Lord, you didn't say whatever I would do. He said, whatever you do, I'll back you up. 
I said, okay, we're going to have two miracles at least today. Thanks very much. And walked out. I got into the room, and the first thing I said was, we're going to have two miracles at least today. You'll see them in just a moment. Now, I'm putting it out there. Because whatever I do, he's going to back me up. For 30 minutes, I would stop every five minutes and say, guess what we're going to have today? Everybody say, we're going to have two miracles. That's right, you're going to see two miracles. And the whole time I'm saying this, I'm waiting for him to say something. And he's not saying anything. So now I'm a little peeved, you know. <laughs> I'm like, we just had ourselves a little experience back there. You said you'd back me up, and I'm telling everybody what you're going to do. And I said, you're supposed to back me up. How come you're not saying anything? And there's nothing. He's not saying anything. So I just literally got so, so frustrated that I just said, all right, here we go. I stepped off and said, you're going to see your first miracle right now. Did you know what you're going to do? I had no idea. I just was mad. And the moment I stepped up like that, I don't know why, just like I looked at that young lady over there and knew I needed to pray for her. The moment I, I looked at this woman, I said, you're the one. You're the first miracle. What's wrong with you? She said, I've had fibromyalgia for 30 years. She said, I've been in constant pain for 30 years. I said, well, God's going to touch you. I reached my hand up like this. People say fire came out of my hand. Hit her in the top of the head. She's down on the floor. We're worshiping God like that. All of a sudden, she gets up off that floor and starts screaming, my God, my God, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And she takes off running. The ushers took off running. We trained the ushers to sometimes run because you wanted to run and other times to run with them. You know what I mean? And so they're all running around the room. And when they got back, it was a Wednesday and Thursdays when we laid hands on the sick traditionally. So I said to her, well, as you know, being Wednesday, tomorrow is the day we lay hands on the sick. If you need anything else, you come back tomorrow. She looked at me. She goes, well, this is the only day I could be here. I said, well, praise the Lord. I said, how many miracles are we going to see at least today? She's, everybody said two. I said, we just saw one. You're going to see another one. And I started setting it up again. 30 minutes later, I'm ticked again because the Lord's not saying anything. So I jump off the platform. I said, now you're going to see your second miracle. And the moment I did, my eyes fastened on a woman right back there about four or five rows back. I said, you're the next person. He said, how did you know? I don't know how I knew. It's just I knew. And the moment I called her, I said, what's wrong with you? She said, I've got bone spurs on each heel. I walk on my toes. She said, they're so painful, I can't put my heels down. I said, step out into the, into the uh, aisle on the count of three. Jump up in the air on your toes and land on your heels. I said, you'll either be healed or you're really going to hurt. You say, why did you do that? I wanted her to want to be healed over being hurt. Why? Because if she chooses, the hurt will leave. Moses said, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose. Notice life and death, blessing and cursing don't have a choice. It's like going to the family buffet. I mean, you know, the meat can't make you. You know, the ham says, pick me, pick me. And the roast, the roast beef doesn't even say it. It just jumps on your plate. I, I didn't know if I wanted that. Yes, you do. No, it doesn't. You've got to choose it. You've got to choose it. And if you come back from the buffet table, you know what I'm saying, and your plate is filled this high, it did not jump on that plate by itself. You, no, it didn't. You put it on there. I'm going to say it, repeat that again, because we had someone trying to buffet that. Amen. He's a King Buffett. <laughs> if the food is piled that high, you put it on there. It did not jump on there itself. 
So see, I put it out there, a really bad scenario and a really good one, so she would go, well, my, I, I want the good one. See, the moment you want it like that, it's going to come to pass. One, two, three, she jumped up and all of a sudden started screaming, my God, my God, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. It started st stomping and she took off running, came back, the same scenario. Well, tomorrow we'll laying on hands, if you want to go ahead and have anything else, you come back tomorrow, we'll lay hands on you. She said, well, today's the only day. And all of a sudden, that dawned on me. Oh, my God, look what just happened. He said he'd back me up. I took him at his word. I stepped out and said, we'll have two miracles. And he helped me to find the, the two people that couldn't come back. And then on the way back to my room, all of a sudden I became sad. Because I thought, Lord, did I sell out somebody? Because I only said two and there were three. Or maybe there were more. See, he's got to work with us, folks. We stick ourselves inside of the cell, in the fence bumping our heads against the wall trying to figure it out. God wants you to be free. God wants you to actually enjoy the wide open spaces. You can't do that while you're fighting with them. Come on, I'm setting you up for tomorrow. Say, brother, I wish you'd get the whole thing tonight because I don't know if I go to this church. We'll come back tomorrow. You can be honest and tell your pastor something was so good Saturday night I had to go back and hear the rest of it. But as you can see, I'm here now, which will be the next Sunday, and let them know. You know, you could just be honest. If you're, if you're up front with people, they like that a lot better than sneaking around. I always did that with the Hagans. Whatever would happen, I'd go right over there and tell them, this is what happened. And there was honor attached to it. And as a result, the relationship is wonderful. So you come back tomorrow. Hear the rest of this. You've got to hear it. I said, you've got to hear it. You've got to find out how God actually looks at what salvation is. Because we think it's this workhouse. It's this slave labor. We're in bondage. And then it doesn't take very long for us to get frustrated and then to, to lose our steam and to find ourselves not even wanting to go. And then when you're here, you just put, it's like a daycare center. You bring your body, you sit there, and then you leave and make me have to take care of you. Come on, I've been at this way too long. I can see. Lights are on, no one's home. You can tell when people check out. I mean, their body's there, but they're, they're, they're somewhere else. If you ask them, what did I preach on tonight? Well, the Bible. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? See, what makes all that possible? Religion. So I'm going to give you one more time. My Adventures in Grace videos will help you with all of this. Tuesday and Friday, we put them out. Go to YouTube channel, Adventures in Grace. You can find them. And this is the scripture that I always read. Listen to it. This is the invitation from Jesus for you. And now Jesus resumed talking to the people. Matthew eleven twenty seven 27 through 30 in the message. But yet tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father and son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son like the father, nor the father like the son. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Rhythm.
I grew up in a really stale church. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. We clapped on one and three. That'll wear you out. And you don't want them to go faster. I'm in the Raymond Singers and Band, and everybody's going two and four. And I'm over there. Finally, Annie went like this, and she touched me. She said, stop. I said, what? She said, clap on two and four. I said, where is it? She said, listen to the snare drum. And you ever see, you ever see um, uh, the, the girls or, or guys too, I guess, but usually girls, they've got that big jump rope, and it's between two people, and they got someone that's getting ready to go in, right? And you got to time it just right. So I'm over there going. And all of a sudden, I landed on it. Hey, woo, that was so liberating. Because two and four have its own feeling. Even when you look like an idiot, it still helps people. <laughs> See, grace is all about rhythm. It's about freedom. It's not about bondage. It's not about work. It's not about effort. It's all like smooth sailing. Wow. You walk with Jesus, you'll be feeling like, ooh, man, I just feel loose and free. Hallelujah. I'm in San Diego watching this Hispanic church, and I stood in the back because everybody was moving in ways. I thought, wow, I wish my hips would do that. <laughs> I don't know how they did that, but, yeah. and I'm, I'm back there seeing myself do, because they're just moving like this, and just, woo, you know, and it, all these moves and stuff, and I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking, I want to do that. I want to do that. It was so liberating and free and fun. And that's what it's like when you get out of the way. He said, keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Notice that his invitation was all about hanging out with him. He didn't say, if you want to actually have a relationship with the Father, you need to read more, you need to pray more, you need to do more, you need to study more. You need to make sure you get five stars every single Sunday when you come to church for all the different five things you need to make sure you do in order to feel equipped and ready to approach me. Because I'm a holy God, and you know what you are. You know when it says, be holy? For he is holy. You know, we always look at that and say, yeah, I got I to get holy. No, he's saying be, be. You are holy, so be what you are. Which means stop thinking you aren't because you be. See, we always want to take everything and work at it. When he's trying to get you to see, this is what I made you, so be what I made you. You're not living in your old house. You're now moved. You can't go back there. So enjoy. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.